0: Welcome to Go Behind the Ballot, a podcast where two Texas moms go on an educational quest to demystify Texas politics. Join me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host Claire Campos-O'Neill as we deep dive into the most burning issues, hear stories from candidates, and offer hope in these challenging political times. Let's saddle up and go behind the ballot.
1: Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Go Behind the Ballot. I'm Claire Campos O'Neill. And I'm Nicole Abshire. And we're very glad that you've joined us. This is an episode in our series where we are recapping the 88th legislative session. and We are learning what went down, what bills should you be paying attention to, which died, which passed. We just need to understand and wrap our heads around where Texas is headed next. So we have an incredible guest with us. But before we get to that, I just want to do some quick announcements. If you are not subscribed to our newsletter, please do that at our website, gobehindtheballot.com. We send our newsletters every Monday, and it's a really nice recap of the show. And if you're a super listener, please share the podcast with a friend. I like to share them with my friends. It's like my sharing a book, but I listen. So this is what you're going to get a text of if you're my buddy. And leave us a rating or review. That would be great. Anything else, Nicole, that I'm missing? I think you covered it. Yeah. All right. So let's jump right in and meet our guest. Today, we're going to be learning what happened regarding LGBTQIA plus rights in Texas. And we have Ricardo Martinez with us from Equality Texas. Hello, Ricardo.
2: Hello. Thank you for having me.
1: Yes, we're so glad that you were able to join us. So we would love to just start out by learning what is Equality Texas? and How did you end up a part of it?
2: <laughs> I'll try to keep this short, brief. Equality Texas is the largest statewide organization that champions LGBTQ equality here in the Lone Star State. We've been around for many years, going back to the Anita Bryant days in 1978 and some grassroots form or another. So we've been here for quite a long time. And my story with Equality Texas starts back in 2019. And I was recruited for this job. Someone reached out to me, believed that I could do it. I flopped them off for what seemed to be like a month and a half until they convinced me and twisted my arm to apply. And I did. And seven interviews later, I joined Equality Texas. And it's been one of the most challenging, but one of the most rewarding things I've ever done.
0: Can I ask where you're from? Like, are, I, are you native Texan? Or is this all Texas? Oh, no,
2: I was born in Mexico City. Uh, my parents moved us to New York City when I was six years old. And I sp- spent some time in the Southwest. I was in Arizona doing some advocacy work, LGBTQ work, education work for about six and a half years before moving to Texas back in 2019. But my grandmother spent a lot of time here in Texas. So she was a migrant worker. Uh, She used to go back from Mexico to Brownsville pretty often. And I have two uncles who were born here in Texas. So we have some Texas roots.
1: Yeah, Texas is a unique place, and we're glad to have you here. And can I just ask, so what is it about this work that attracted you to it?
2: I always tell the same story, and it's really going back to sixth grade and being introduced to civic engagement via one of my teachers. And if I think about it really thoughtfully now, it's some of the work that he did with us in sixth grade would be considered CRT now and would be considered somewhat contentious, right? And for us, it was just more about engaging in difficult conversations with your peers. Like how do you talk about race? How do you talk about injustice? How do you talk about conflict, right? And how do you resolve it together as peers? And how can we introduce you to doing as much good as you possibly can? And he did that for me. And it was 1993, sixth grade, he took us on a field trip to the gay men's health crisis they used to do the AIDS walk and they taught us about ACT UP and civil disobedience and resistance. And for me, that was just fascinating that uh, one person could essentially disrupt injustice and that kind of, I carried that with me until my 20s where it came flooding back and I just really wanted to become even more engaged.
1: I love that. I know. I love
2: activation <laughs> stories so much.
1: Yes. We did a series a while back on education and a lot of folks who got into advocacy work. There was a common recurring story of a specific teacher really touching them and helping them realize the world so much bigger than just you and me and how to find your place in it. So it's a great story. And it's not a surprise that we're seeing attacks on those conversations because they do lead to this change and this inclusiveness that some people, unfortunately, don't want to have happen.
2: I think what they taught me was empathy and compassion, right? It wasn't necessarily fortified in inclusion, although that was very much part of it. It was just more about understanding people's humanity and their lived experience, right? I don't think that there was jargony language back then that seemed to be uh, foreign to folks. It was just more about like, this is my classmate. I want to understand where they're coming from. We are having this issue. They're experiencing this injustice. Why is it important that we consider all of the parts of them in breaking it down to the core issue, right? For us to be involved and have some tangible opportunity to change.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, right? Like the underlying message, of course, is not controversial at all. And yet it is amazing how it has been politicized. And there's been so much really divisive thought that's been put into making it something that is really controversial when, yeah, at its core, it's just about empathy, exactly like you Mm -hmm. said. So speaking
1: of divisiveness. Yes, yes. So we're going to start with the good. What We'd love to know if any good bills were passed this session for the LGBTQIA community. And if there wasn't, which there could be the answer, if there were any legislators who were real allies in this movement?
2: Oh, that's a good question. I'm sure that there are a few that passed that could be considered helpful. I know that there were a couple of mental health bills that ended up making their way through the legislature. I don't know if they ended up passing or not. To be honest, we were so focused on all of the awful bad bills that we're passing through that I'd have to look back and take a look. But one of the things that sticks out to me is just the Crown Act. And when I think about LGBTQ tendental bills that would help members of our community, I also think about the intersections, right? And I think the Crown Act, ensuring that there is no discrimination based on hair texture to me was one of those moments that I can look back and be really proud of the work that Red Bowers did. And the fact that we went to testify in support of the bill, and so many of our allies did as well. So that was one thing that I would look back and always kind of smile about.
1: Can you tell us more about the Crown Act for folks who might have like no familiarity with it at all?
2: Yeah. So we have a long history in the US of kind of arbitrarily determining what constitutes professional hairstyles or professional clothing choices when we get into the workplace. And oftentimes the realities are that we create these narrow boundaries of what constitutes professional not professional. And sometimes they are based, well, all of the time they are based on folks that are in positions of power and they leave folks who are part of marginalized communities. Out. And so there's a long history of braids, box braids, twists uh, being considered unprofessional. And so the Crown Act addresses that directly and enumerates within the bill that these specific hairstyles are not and should not be used as a measure of whether or not someone is professional, which is great.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how how you can't be for that. So that's great.
1: Yeah. Okay. We like that. We like some progress. Any legislators who really advocated in a meaningful way this session?
2: I'm going to answer this a little bit differently because I like politics so much. I like policy so much. I like policy making so much. I think there's tremendous power in creating for the most amount of people in the shortest amount of time. And I think about being in the building and just still being a fan of people who can get up there and say some really powerful, wonderful things that really make a difference and maybe they're not the deciding factor on whether or not a bill ends up becoming law. But I think it changes hearts and minds. It reaches people profoundly. And I think Benton Jones delivered a really powerful speech on the floor against SB 14 that I will remember for the rest of my life. I think watching Ann Johnson on the floor for many of the debates, and even during hearings, asking really important questions that really cut through the noise and right to the heart of an issue, I think were just so impressive. And I always love James Tellerico's way of being able to be kind and direct about his questioning and support for his communities, right? So I'm always thinking when answering a question like this through the lens of like, what moments during session was I like, wow, or inspired, right? And those were three that I can recall. Let me just go back because Senator Menendez Is the one person like I think about, this is a moment of extreme volatility, right? And during moments of extreme volatility, it requires a tremendous amount of uncommon courage. And what Senator Menendez did this session was unequivocally state that he is an ally to the LGBTQ community. And he is such a kind person that matches just his intent and his words when he's on the floor of the Senate or during hearings. He, to me, is... Despite how bad session was and the feelings around it and the experience that I will take away, I will always remember how he showed up so vocally in support of the LGBTQ community.
1: Yeah, that's great. We'll have to find a few of these moments you mentioned and share them in our show notes so folks can go and see for themselves what that powerful rhetoric can do.
0: It's also good inspiration, right, for social media. I think sometimes we struggle with making meaningful posts and these would be great things to highlight and to uplift. So yes, we'll go find those. Give it us, Nicole. Oh boy. Okay. Well, next up (laughs) as our plan goes, we're going to talk about the bad. Um, so what are the bad bills that were passed this session?
2: There were 141 anti-LGBTQ bills that were filed this session. And I just want to I want to say that because we've been going to Prides, and we, by the end of June, we will have been at 73 Pride events all across Texas, as Equality Texas. And we've been speaking to a lot of people that don't actually realize just how bad this session was, right? For one reason or another, they either tuned out because they're protecting themselves, they tuned out because maybe the news is just isn't an accessible thing for people right now. And I get it. But the reality is that this is the worst attack on LGBTQ equality in this state and in this country for any specific state in the history of the U.S. It's 141 anti-LGBTQ bills. That is awful in itself, right? But the good of that, if there can be any, is that 134 of these bills were stopped. Only seven ended up passing. And I say only seven still reeling from the fact that they did and noting the harm that all of these will cause. So, SB 14 is the bill that banned life-saving healthcare for transgender young people that was signed by the governor. In its final form, the bill revokes medical licenses of any healthcare provider who prescribes outline care for what they wrote in the bill, the purpose of transitioning a child's sex. It also prohibits any public funding to anyone who provides this treatment or health care to trans young people. That was Bill number one. Bill number two was SB 15, which extends the current ban on transgender youth playing sports into public universities. If you remember in 2021, the only bill to pass was HB 25, which was the K 12 sports ban. Now there's a collegiate sports ban. SB 12, which was coined the drag ban at the beginning of the year, is a bill that broadly defines sexually oriented businesses including some vague language that is meant to target drag performers. And a violation of the, this bill occurs when a minor is present. And business owners could be fined up to $10,000 for hosting a drag performance that violates this ludicrous bill. But because the definition of sexually oriented performances is so broad, It has wide-ranging implications outside of just drag, right? It could be pride celebrations. It could be bachelorette parties. It could be dirty dancing. It could be so much. Then there's SB17, which is a ban on DEI programs in in public universities, so diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. And and we testified for all of these bills, P.S., but this one for me was incredibly personal because I benefited tremendously from DEI programs in my university and other, I don't think that I would have gotten as far as I did had I not had the support that I received during my freshman year to kind of give me an on ramp to be able to just acclimate to the idea of being the first person in my family to go to college, but also to be away and to not have parents who understood just how to navigate that system. Right. And so that was heartbreaking for me, as are all of, but these are personal heartbreaks as well. HB 900 is the Book Burning Act, and this bill restricts access to books in school libraries by prohibiting the acquisition, limiting access, and defining obscenity in a very broad manner. So if you go back to a couple of years back when Matt Krause, a list of 800 plus books that should be reviewed or banned or removed from libraries More than 60% of those were LGBTQ protagonists or authors. And then it was Black authors or Black protagonists, right? That's the second large category. And so we know that when we're attacking hate, when they pass this Book Burning Act, that the books that are going to be impacted are going to be from authors who are LGBTQ identified or Black or at the intersections of both. There's HB 2127, which preempts a broad span of local regulations, including housing non-discrimination ordinances, and that's number six. The number seven is SB 763, which allows for the replacement of school counselors with untrained, unlicensed religious chaplains, and so those are the seven that ultimately ended up passing.
1: So it sounds like some of these bills, it's very vague. So it's to be determined what their consequences are. But for the ones where you do know what the consequences are, what is that going to look like? I'm sure there's some people thinking, I don't really see, like, how bad can it be? Like telling that to themselves. But can you tell, what does the future hold because of some of these bills?
2: Think. I see them as a package of 141 bills, right? It's not only these seven bills that are going to have an impact. Obviously, these will. But the whole package, the whole six months of speaking about or debating the humanity of LGBTQ people just has a chilling effect and a detrimental effect on the way that we are treated. It emboldens people who are anti-LGBTQ extremists to cause us harm. And we're the largest statewide organization, so we will always have a vantage point of being one of the first organizations that people reach out to when they're in crisis. And the calls haven't stopped for years now. And we've been tracking just the uptick in bullying, harassment in schools, physical assaults in schools, violence that is happening in our communities. The protesters that are coming to Pride, that are armed, that are white nationalists, who are Nazis, right? And trying to fear into spaces that are supposed to be joyous for us, right? So I think that the overall impact is that it causes people to be fearful and to have to carry this weight, of looking over their shoulder, worried about whether or not uh, they're going to come home, and that's the reality for very many people. I think in the short term, it also impacts the availability of healthcare and practitioners who are knowledgeable about the healthcare needs of the LGBTQ community. We're Trans folks already, adults, young people have a very difficult time accessing knowledgeable care. And we are creating healthcare deserts for people who need them. We are attacking families by removing their stories from curriculum and books. I think that that is disastrous. I think all of these send a really dangerous message that somehow the lives of LGBTQ people are taboo. And that is not the case, right? But we know that Texans are with us, right? We know that 72% of Texans believe that discrimination against our community is wrong. But right now, in this moment, what we need is that large majority of Texans to really think thoughtfully about what they can do in this moment to help kind of interrupt the hate that we are seeing by having difficult conversations, by stopping homophobia, transphobia, racism when they see it in their daily lives. I know that people often think that advocacy looks difficult or maybe is not accessible, but like... You being a bystander or being an upstander during moments where people are being attacked violated, verbally harassed, I think is also important because the burden of this fight cannot solely be on transgender and LGBT people.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of comments that I, I wanted to hop in. I think it is really like you were just saying, Ricardo, so important to recognize the level of fear that is pervading so many people's lives right now. And so I think that it is really easy if you are not being intentional about staying conscious and being present for this moment and thinking about what it's like for so many people. It is entirely too easy to not recognize how terrible it is right now. I think I just really want to make a plea for people to really hear what you are saying and really be like a true, true ally, co-conspirator, whatever the terminology is that you want to identify with, because this is a theme that's come up in other episodes for us, but the chilling effect of these conversations that have happened at the legislature are truly effective, right? We've seen clinics close down. Like these, just the conversation alone and the making so much of this kind of targeting language be common Moves through these spaces really quickly. And I like, it's like I cannot overstate enough how effective that chilling effect is and what it has meant. (laughs) And so I'm just like, really, if I had any influence or opportunity to, and I don't like to say beg, but I think I am sort of begging people to pay attention and really stand up for what you believe in, what you know to be good and true and right?
2: I will say that we don't have to look very far for this impact every single day, right? One of the things that I think about and that has been really weighing heavily on my spirit is the story of Akira Ross in Cedar Park. And not very many people are aware what happened, but on June 2nd, Akira Ross, who's a Black, I believe, lesbian-identified person, was in Cedar Park, went to pump her gas, was with her partner. She was approached by a stranger before shooting her three times and killing her, called her homophobic slurred. I'm not saying that this is that the what happened at the legislature is the cause of this, but it's a contributing factor and emboldening people to be able to dehumanize us based on the way that we present and assumptions that people make about us. And now you're seeing stories about Akira and her life right now is being talked about only in the last few minutes of her life, right? And she is not the last two minutes of her life. She loved barbecuing with her family. She loved vlogging. She loved playing her video games, loved dancing and listening to music. That is who Akira was. Mm -hmm. That is the light in life that was reduced to this homophobic slur and violent act. Mm -hmm. These are the things that will continue to occur if we as Texans do not but a stop to it. And I think people forget that we have power in determining what is acceptable in terms of the way that we treat each other. We do. And this is the friendship state. We have a long way to go to find ourselves and find ourselves back to each other to be able to provide a safe and affirming state for everybody.
1: Yeah, thank you for sharing her story. I do remember reading that recently and just like throwing my hands up. Like I can't believe it's happening now and now. And then, yeah, it's scary what's to come too, especially because the road ahead doesn't look great. Hopefully it'll change, but we need to work together and uh, listen to Nicole. And what you're saying, because this is a moment to correct the ship, I hope. Before we move on to the UG, which I'm sure there's a lot of UG moments to come. Were there any legislators who are particularly bad just really made things you just shake your head out. I'm sure there's many, but if there's a few that pop out, we'd be curious to hear.
2: Uh, so it's not my style to talk shit about people. And sorry, you can believe me if I say that, right? It isn't. I think most people would know who are the folks who did not show up for us in many ways and who are the folks who were blatantly antagonistic and working against us all session. I think that there are Obviously, all of the major filers of anti LGBTQ legislation. I think about Donna Campbell and weaponizing her degree as a medical professional to kind of provide oomph to lies and disinformation about trans folks. I really take that personally. I don't understand it. I would say. Representative Slayton, who is no longer a representative, was also one of the prolific filers of anti-LGBTQ legislation. And just, I think, with him and members like him, hate is the point, right? Cruelty is the point. And I think people throw this around, this is common sense legislation. But for me, you can't call something that hurts people common sense legislation. You have to measure and you have to think about and be thoughtful about any bills or policy that you are suggesting, filing, how much good and how much bad can it potentially do? That's your responsibility, being elected to serve all types of people in your community. And I guarantee you there are LGBTQ folks in every community. And so I just don't understand that approach. Those are the two that come to mind.
1: Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Let's move on to the UGG. So these are the moments in the session that made you say, UGG, we have 140 days every other year to talk about important issues. And this is what we talked about. So what comes to mind there?
2: Uh, I mean, there's a lot. I think back to the day that they cleared the gallery and people were removed from the building and only brown trans people were detained, forcibly removed, arrested and the pain that that caused our community, right? I think we have always approached advocacy through the spirit of peace. That's the way that I navigate life and what I bring to advocacy. I don't judge other people's advocacy tactics, right? There is a place for everyone to be defiant, to be like ACT UP was in the 80s and 90s. There's a place for all types of advocacy. But when I think about just the peaceful nature of that day that culminated in that moment I uh, is the correct word that would come up
1: yeah uh, I agree I was there that day in the morning and saw the speeches you gave a speech that morning Audrey Paris who you're referring to who was removed and when I watched everything on Twitter later that night I was like I can't believe this happened it was like night so stark the difference between what I experienced being in the gallery with everyone and then seeing these violent videos. I think you were there, Nicole. Yeah, yeah you were there it was, too. It was really traumatic. It, re- it really, really
0: was.
2: Yeah. I think that I saw pictures the next day, right? Because when you're there, you can only see what's around you, right? And at that time, we were dealing with an emergency downstairs. Everything was happening at the gallery. And then I started seeing pictures the next day of anti-LGBTQ extremists praying over some of the folks that showed up to support LGBTQ rights at the Capitol. They had circled a number of folks, and they were praying over them, literally with their hands over, praying over them. And I had never in person or been that close to proximity where faith was being used as a weapon against people. And I grew up in the church, right? For me, my faith is still really incredibly important. My mom, every Tuesday and Thursday, still has a prayer circle in her home. So, for me, I don't recognize that type of faith, but I know that that was incredibly impactful and traumatic for the folks who were under receiving it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything you want to add, Nicole?
0: No, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Any other moments that had a similar <laughs> sentiment?
2: I think every single time that they would vote a Bill out despite having overwhelming opposition. I think back to the healthcare ban where there were 3000 people who came to the Capitol to drop a card, essentially formalizing their position against the bill versus the 97 people that supported that bill. And then the 450 people that registered to testify that were silenced that day that were sent home. Over 400 people were sent home and not given the opportunity to testify on their own behalf. And these are people who are happy who could vouch for the fact that healthcare for transgender people is life-saving, but they were unwilling to listen. And instead, they prioritized splitting, prioritizing invited testimony that lasted for hours and then prioritized testimony was handpicked, right? right. So they made it seem to the general public that the Texans were split on this issue when clearly the numbers don't lie. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This came up in another episode recently, how a lot of times we're seeing legislators pass through bills that have the opposite public support literally at the Capitol. And I guess we'll pivot into democracy because we want to see more democracy and more people power uh, at the forefront of the minds of our legislators. So speaking of democracy, we would love to wrap up by hearing what democracy means to you, because we think it's so important to remind our listeners that we do have a place at the table. We have a voice that needs to be heard, and we want to not fall into apathy and feel like the game is over.
2: Yeah. I mean, democracy to me has always been about participation, active participation and removing boundaries from participation for people, right? Democracy, everyone deserves an opportunity to have their voice heard. People contributing to the whole, the resistance, the identification of injustice and rallying against it to me is all part of democracy. And even if you don't necessarily prescribe to someone's ideals or view of the world, being able to have conversation respectful conversations on both sides, or multiple sides, because there's not just just two, I think is important. But democracy has always been finding something that you're passionate about and really participating. And I think back to like an Oprah podcast that she had with the radical nun, Sister Joan Christensen, I think, and she talked about Uncommon Carries, but she also talked about that you just have to pick something that you're passionate about and do something, right? And you can start small. It doesn't have to be big. Resistance can be simply just living your life fully, authentically, and loudly, right? Because in this moment, what they want us to do is run back into the closet. And I, for one, will never do that. I will never stop being myself. I will never stop living my life out and proudly and loudly So democracy is participating and finding ways for others to do the same.
1: Yeah. Thank you for that answer. And I'm going to try to find that podcast episode and I'll listen to it because I'm a podcast-aholic, but also <laughs> yes. share it with everyone who might be curious what it's the so conversation is like.
0: <laughs> I know, right? I feel like I have my homework for tonight. Yes. Awesome.
1: Yes. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. Where can people follow your
2: work? Equality Texas at all of the social media channels. So we're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. Twitter, that is where everything will be. The best thing that I ever did before I started this job was get rid of all of my personal accounts on all of these social media platforms because I really didn't want to be distracted. So you can't personally find me, but you can certainly find the work.
1: Perfect. Listeners, go do that. It's a good call to action to stay on top of this important topic. And Nicole, any final thoughts? Well, I think that is, I just want to highlight that that
0: is really important. Go follow Equality Texas because I think what we've discovered again and again was we've t- as we have talked to advocates, as we can't all be experts on every issue area that kind of stirs our heart, but we have incredible organizations that do follow these things. And so if you just want to keep an eye on what's happening, definitely follow, follow along.
2: I will say I would give a shout out to our coalition partners who also really did a tremendous amount of work during session. And that's the ACLU of Texas, the Transgender Education Network of Texas, Land Illegal Human Rights Campaign of Texas, and Texas Freedom Network. And there were so many new, incredible partners that we developed partnerships with, including the AFL CIO, UCC Church. There are just so many. I wish I could name them all. Resource Center, P Flag. There's so many great organizations that are doing good work.
0: That's great. We love a list. We love a list, and we'll put that in the episode <laughs> description. So yes, thank you.
1: Yes. Well, thank you so much for your time and sharing more with us, Ricardo. We are going to end it here, but we encourage listeners to go follow Equality Texas and the other wonderful organizations that were mentioned, and we'll include some of this information in our newsletter. Get on that newsletter if you're not already on it. All right. Well, we'll talk to you all soon.
0: Thank you, everybody, for joining me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos-O'Neill on Go Behind the Ballot. Hopefully, we've demystified some little portion of Texas politics, and we hope that you'll do more with us check out our website at www.gobehindtheballot.com, where you'll find links to all of our social media and you will find our community. Let's join together and do more. We hope you'll let us know what is working and we hope you'll join us next week. Thanks everybody and have a good one.